0: Well, Joel, it's been was looking at it. I think 17 years since I was this angry leaving a football game. That was the 2006 Outback Bowl against the Florida Gators, and that was uh, another fiasco of horrendous and pathetic officiating, uh, much like this last Saturday. Um, we're here on episode 10 of the 12 Saturdays podcast uh, reboot on a uh, sad Floyd day. Um, Floyd was pignapped,
1: Joel. Pignapped. Yeah, it was unconscionable. Unconscionable. Like, the only time pigs get stolen like this is when, you know, rogue Greek organizations have bad intentions. Like, this was just absolutely awful. Awful, awful, awful.
0: You know what? What really, to me, the thing that sticks in my craw the most about it is not even like, you know, Not even like the record for Iowa or the fans feeling bad or, you know, or PJ getting a totally undeserved first win against uh, Iowa. Um, It it was Cooper DeGene just getting absolutely screwed. I mean, that kid, everything was going wrong pretty much all day for Iowa. And then you have the one shining star, the one bright moment who single-handedly takes the entire team on his shoulders and fixes the game makes everybody feel happy brings joy to 70,000 people going nuts brings utter despair i saw pj fleck kick the bench because he knew we got beat and then it just gets taken away by from some jackass sitting on his fat ass in a booth in pittsburgh that's unconscionable that's
1: the best word to use for it and i think the thing is is it's I mean, I'm also an official, not at the college level, not at, I mean, I am at the high school level. I'm pretty new to the game, but I was also a special teams coordinator for a long time and I was a good one. I know I'm sounds arrogant and whatever, but I coached, you know, three all conference specialists, one, one made all state as a punter. And we were, we were third in the state two years in a row and kickoff returns and punt returns. Like I know what I'm doing in the return game and the action that he was doing in no training. Have I ever seen been coached or anything as being an invalid signal I've, I've talked to officials before the game they always go through a meeting about what's a valid signal what's an invalid signal what are the rules in that game and what we saw there was his index figure extended on both hands and then his left hand was moving in a rhythmic Pointing motion with his legs That's the th- yeah and I think the thing is, is he wasn't he wasn't moving in a way that was in any way an alarming fashion. and So that's why I don't agree that it was a correct interpretation of the invalid fair catch signal rule. And I think that's what this gets down to is that it's, yes, the rule states waving of the arms, whether it's below the waist or above the waist is an invalid fair catch signal, or excuse me, waving it below the shoulder is an invalid fair catch signal. But the thing is, is I still think that it is subject to interpretation as to whether it's waving or whether it's a natural motion. And I think that the ambiguity in and of itself is what is so frustrating well, about uh, this situation.
0: The internet the internet is awash in videos of punters flailing their arms, waving people away, pointing at the ball that never ever get called. So, I mean, yeah, you're right about that. And then here's the other thing with intent. There's not a single human being that was in Kinnick Stadium that thought Cooper DeGene wasn't going to try to catch that ball and run towards the end zone. Not a single human being. So the only thing that rule exists is so you can't trick the other team and then try to run. He wasn't doing that. He was going to get the ball and run. And guess what? He did it. Iowa scored. Iowa for all intents and purposes, won that game because there was no way Minnesota was going to score after that. But, you know, and you and I are not total meatballs. You know, this is usually a pretty even, I like to think, I mean, we have fun, we make jokes, but this is an even keeled podcast. We're not big meatball. Oh my God, I was always right fans. We're not like that, (laughs) but I call bullshit when I see it
1: yeah i don't think this we're gonna set any f-bomb records or swear word records for the podcast tonight but it could be close um just because that's how frustrated and how angry i am and and one of the other things about this is is you're 100 percent correct on the the 11 guys on the field from minnesota didn't perceive any deception they were playing through and that's that's also to the tune they're programmed like robots to go to the whistle. So that's, that's not the strongest argument, but the fact that there was no frustration, no pleading, no urging from the Minnesota sidelines that that had happened in the moment. Like, so that's where there's also some issues. Now, my other issue is watching the game live. You were there. I wasn't, I was watching it uh, at home and the whole discussion of well it was visible from the overhead camera angle <laughs> I have an issue with that being a justification because that is a, that is a play where the camera angle matters where, where, yeah. the, where the where the plane of view matters. an overhead view isn't like you're looking at someone who is going out of bounds or is, has, or if it's a scoring play where they're going over a pylon or something, this is a matter of perceiving motion, right? And, oh, an overhead projection, you can't perceive the plane, you can't perceive the view, you can't perceive what would truly make this a, a deceptive play. And what I've also learned on the internet and, and the evaluation of some Hawkeye fans is that we have a lot of fans who are the asshole uncle at a wedding uh, who are like, you know, well, I mean, technically 50% of marriages ended divorce anyway. So I'm not super, I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, the, the facts, the data says, this isn't going to work. Like, yeah, I get the rule is what the rule is. And there's a whole bunch of folks on the internet um, who are saying, well, it's the rules, the rules score, score more points, you know, don't gain two yards in the second half. Just because you're ugly doesn't mean people can do wrong stuff to you. That is it that isn't the argument. Like it is not okay for us to get screwed by an inaccurate interpretation of a rule, in my opinion. Right. Um, because this rule is poorly written. And just like the Florida situation that you were discussing not long ago, uh, that was an impetus for some of the replay rules that are now in effect. This DeGene didn't wave, didn't wave fair catch is the new greenway was on side. And and now we're back in that situation all over again. And I hope that we can't change it. Now you got to move on, but let's stop fighting with each other inside the fan base and using this, this rule as something as, Oh, well, it just justifies that Brian's terrible. So it shouldn't even matter. It shouldn't come down to that. I don't disagree with that point. But the fact of the case is Cooper DeGene won the game for the Hawkeyes, cemented a legacy of perf- uh, of just playmaker ability, and now we're talking about how he got screwed instead of how this is my 12-year-old son's Tim Dwight.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and finally, and not to beat this horse any more than it's already been bludgeoned to death, which I fully admit, but the one last point I'll make is were they not – reviewing whether he stepped out or by, uh, bounds or not, and then just happened to call that. So, so if you are reviewing something for a intentional grounding and see a hold on the defense, do we now call that? Do we just know? Cause
1: only because of, it's just because a holding play is not reviewable. There are some penalties that aren't reviewable to that point. The a, a kick catch signal is reviewable. And once you open up the review process, in college football, my understanding is that all reviewable aspects come into play. Well, that's asinine too. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, and another question I have is, this is where some of the technicalities, this is where some of the overriding of rules becomes problematic, because if he is tackled at the two yard line, they might not even review this play. It's because oh, it was a scoring play they were that it got reviewed. reviewed. Yeah. If-
0: If you'd have only got 20 yards, they wouldn't have reviewed it. And then Iowa may have kicked the field goal and won anyway. So, I mean, everything about it was just absurd, pathetic, and an example of the Big Ten needing to get its shit figured out with its officiating crew because it's embarrassing, it's affecting games, and it's making the sport worse.
1: And and I know that I just took some shots at people who – are pointing out the facts of the case and I'm using air quotes facts of the case, um, for well, it was, it was, it was the correct call and asshole Fleck reiterated that in this press conference yesterday. Um, in typical of Fleck fashion, that guy is not welcome in the state of Iowa as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I have a huge problem with him. Um, and, and not because it's because he took the cheap win and is acting like he out coached the master. He didn't do shit. He, his his defensive coordinator did a nice job. Um with PJ Fleck didn't do shit. And and bo- he bothers me, he will always bother me. Um it, it, I don't know how to I don't know how else to fix it or how else to describe how much I hate him. But the other fact of the case is is we shouldn't know Tim O'Day's name. No. We should not know an official. We shouldn't know where oh. he... Either there, Lincoln, Nebraska. is that where he lives. Is he from Lincoln? Uh-huh. Uh, well, so, but the thing is, is he made the bad call where he blew the play dead incorrectly last year when Jack Campbell was returning the interception. When he was suspended a few years ago. Off the board for Iowa. He's against Minnesota. Against Minnesota two years in a row. And One guy from Lincoln, Nebraska. And what they'll say is that he didn't make the call. It was the replay official in Pittsburgh who made the call. But, and that's not wrong, but you, I have to think, if somebody can correct me, you know, message the podcast, whatever, our email is 12saturdays2 at gmail.com. Uh, well, you can tell me all you want that it's the replay official, but I know from my experience with officials is if that white hat firmly believed that there was an issue or that he didn't agree with that, he could say, no, that's, I don't agree with that. And now it's no longer indisputable visual evidence because now you have a dispute. And so that's where I'm going with that is at some point you have to be able to say, someone has to say, I disagree with that interpretation. And that becomes the dispute that makes it non-indisputable evidence. And so that's where I have, have an issue with that call. And again, that was one factor it was a pretty big factor. Seven points is a major factor. Um, but an, also a major factor is you can't turn the ball as much as the De- Deacon Hill turned the ball over. And we can get into that a little bit more. Let's take a quick break. I'll be right back.
0: Well, Joel, now it's time to talk about the giant elephant in the room. And we've already, you know, referenced it, and that is At this point, any realistic thoughts or hopes that I was going to figure things out on offense or round into form on that side of the ball, that's gone. That's out the window. I mean, that, right? I mean, uh, barring maybe some weird thing where they actually play the backup quarterback, who, if Kirk Ferentz is to believe, is the 161st best quarterback, passer in america since deacon hill is now 160 out of 160 but apparently gives us the best chance to win that means the guys on the bench are actually worse than the worst guy in college football which is a whole problem in and of itself but i mean what do you do with a shit show
1: on offense now uh you gotta hope you could run the ball i think dunker getting hurt has really hurt really hurt the offensive line on uh on saturday um there was so much wrong though with the offense on Saturday and largely you know when we did get receivers open and when Deacon did hit the receivers in in position they dropped the ball again we're having too many drops we're having too many um uh well and the one was such a bad luck play because it was coming right out of the shadows into the sun and like it was just oh, it was frustrating as a fan because that's that's one of those drops you can justify but just like we said, we shouldn't know Tim O'Day's name. No, we shouldn't know the history of an official. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have this history of drop passes with our receiving core. And that part gets really frustrating. And and I think I I said to you in a text, like I said, I kind of wanted to do a segment on what I would do as, as a bi-week coach, um, because I think it's important. And I think you have to treat this week as a good healthy week for guys who are not healthy and like bowl prep, like a, like a week of bull prep for the younger guys. Yeah. And I, and I think Joey Labus needs to get a shot. Um, he has to, he has to, I mean, I, I know I just
0: made that snarky comment about the 161st, but I mean, come on, Joe, there is, unless he is literally, as I wrote in my column this week, Tuesdays with Torby, unless, He's literally falling on his face and dropping the ball. And I don't like bashing players. I don't want this to be a Deacon Hill sucks thing. Uh, Something's, the guy's just not ready for prime time and that's okay. Maybe he will be someday, but for a big dude, I mean, he can't even navigate the pocket or hold on to the damn ball. I mean, those are basic things, man. I mean, let alone The, the inaccurate passing. Like what, what does
1: he do well? Yeah, the inaccurate passing is something that I'm not qualified to fix. I've never tried to coach a quarterback in passing. I've never done anything mechanics-wise, which is interesting because I was a pitching coach for baseball, but the, the mechanic is is not as similar as we all think. Uh, the footwork, for sure, is way different. But one thing that he cannot do is give up sack fumbles. That ball has to be elevated. He can't hold the ball down by his Peter. He's got to get it elevated so that it cannot be easily knocked out so he can have strength I, I that's one fundamental I do know enough about the quarterback position, is that that ball needs to be elevated, um, and maybe here's the other thing, maybe elevating that ball is going to increase his accuracy too, because it minimizes the amount of motion he has to use to get to plane, to get the throwing plane. So maybe he's going to fix two problems with one minor adjustment. But I don't know that 10 days is enough to ju- to make that adjustment. That's a serious muscle memory adjustment that has to be corrected. The other thing that I'm saying with the, I'm also not one who's like, get the backup in because we all know the most popular player in any football team is the backup quarterback. I would say this about Labus. I'm hesitant because I know he missed most of fall camp, if not all of fall camp. And so that puts him now just at, at week 10 of football as opposed to week 16 of football as far as that goes. Well, where that would concern me more is if he was a true freshman or redshirt freshman. He started the bowl game last year. That's he right. had enough. He had enough preparation that he started the bowl game. Even though Connor May left unexpectedly, it would have been Connor's game um, if he had stayed. You know, after Padilla announced his transfer, but Carson wasn't it or Carson May? Yeah, Did I say Connor May. Sorry, Car- Carson. Carson May leaves. So what I'm saying is that. He's got experience. Split reps. Go Ricky Stanzi, Jay Christensen with these two guys. What, what, what? There is upside to that. There is upside to that. So, and I, and I I'm hopeful that we see it. And. can't be worse than the worst. I mean,
0: he, I mean, he, he can be 160th. <laughs> B, I guess, but that's still, and here's the, what I really don't get is we know, we know we have mounds and years of evidence that the one thing that typically earns you bench time and that Kirk Ferentz cannot stand is being sloppy and not taking care of the ball and committing turnovers yet inexplicably that doesn't apply to his favorite starting quarterback uh, that, how do you square that? I, that makes zero sense to me.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know either, and we have enough sample size to to see that it doesn't always change, but we did see it with Jake Christensen. We did see, and uh, but the thing is, is I don't know that five Joey Labus is Ricky Stanzi? I think we all can probably agree that he's not. Um, and I and I think you don't pull Marco Lanez into the equation yet either because he's a true freshman, and if he is in the equation for the future he can't play more than four games. So they've got to figure out what they feel is right for that particular situation too. So um, it's a, it's a really horrible spot to be in. Um, And again, it's all comes down to Brian Ferentz, right? He's the quarterbacks coach and the offensive coordinator. So, and helps recruit quarterbacks to come to Iowa. And this is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah so yeah so there's a lot on him and this is what was the worst case scenario we talked about in our first episode where we talked about Caden mcnamara we think is a great quarterback he's going to be a great option but he's had a hard time staying healthy so here we are he's not healthy uh so now we're in this mire of mediocrity at the quarterback position and maybe mediocrity is being too complimentary of the position um but it's not the the only
0: regressing. It feels like every snap Deacon Hill takes, he gets a little worse. That to me is the most concerning part of the whole thing. You know, he looked best in the game where he came in, you know, cold off, off of the bench. And maybe he's overthinking, Maybe it's too much for him. I, and I think that's a legitimate possibility.
1: Um, well, if, if that's the case, then they need to take a page out of the Ken O'Keefe playbook and simplify things. Because I, I have, on good authority, Brad Banks struggled with the Iowa playbook his junior year. And O'Keefe simplified it. They turned everything into half-field reads. They didn't ask him to do more... Than, uh, than he was capable of as far as processing information quickly. And I'm not saying Brad Banks was a dumb quarterback. I'm just saying they recognized that he it was moving too fast, so they slowed things down. They simplified some things for him. Now, I don't doubt that they have simplified some things for Deacon Hill and maybe even for Cade McNamara. But I think that's the discussion. So... We, we could talk to her blow in the face. We, keep, we just have to wait and see what they're going to do. I believe what they should do is they should evaluate, figuring out a way to simplify the offense, to, to limit the reads, limit the checks, and also give Labus an opportunity to not win the job, but at least play and see if he can be a change of pace and they can somehow figure out a two-quarterback system, which none of us are in favor of, but what can it hurt at this juncture? But bigger picture... When you look at the prolific offenses throughout college football, and this has kind of come to the forefront with the uh Jim Harbaugh, Michigan uh sign stealing scandal, is you have a lot of these coaches, Matt Rule of Nebraska said today, he's like, This is where it's different in the NFL. It's in high school in the NFHS and in the NFL you can signal in plays now with electronic communication. College is the only level that doesn't allow that. And the reason that college coaches continue to vote this down according to rule is because coaches wanna still have total control On the audibles, the checks, the plays that are being called because in the NFL, they call three plays and it's up to the quarterback to say, okay, the safety's in this position. And again, I'm paraphrasing Matt rule here. I'm not an expert in NFL signal calling, but what he was saying today is that they, the the quarterback reads the defense and he calls out one play based off of the three plays that they've called in the huddle. So at college, you see these quarterbacks looking over to the sideline, getting the signal in, and basically the, quarter, the the offensive coordinator or whatever, whoever's in the sky, is reading the defense and giving them their pre-snap reads. So they call the play, and now it's the quarterback's looking at two things. One guy steps one way, I'm throwing it here. One guy steps another way, I'm throwing it here. And so that's how they've simplified it. Iowa needs to simplify it. They need to figure out a way to take the reading, the checking, all of this, and and dilute that to the point where it's, let's make it as simple as possible. Oh, it's an if this, then this, not a if this, then this, then we're gonna go to this, 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 and this. Yes
0: more of a binary choice the other thing when i was uh writing the column day looking at the the box score that kind of shocked me and granted iowa's run game looked atrocious it was running into a brick wall but did you know that it was a 50 50 split 28 pass attempts and 28 rushes and I, 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 that was never it was always a one score game right i mean that's way too much passing with a quarterback prone to turnovers and inaccuracy, in my opinion. I I would have kept trying to run it, even if you're running into a brick wall.
1: Yeah, I, I I mean, being balanced is never a bad thing, though. But the thing that was confounding to me was short yardage. We were getting Jazz Patterson in the short yardage situations and not Sean Williams. So I don't know. And they're they're in the room. I actually trust Liddell Betts. Uh, maybe I shouldn't. Um, but those because the position coaches really have a huge impact on the uh, the personnel groupings and situations like that. Usually, so it was it was just a weird game, and it was the kind of game I think why I I am so mad as an Iowa fan is because it's the kind of game we've just been accustomed to winning the last several years. And, technically, and Saturday, yeah, and technically we feel like we did um with the with the bad call. Um what we are what we are interpreting as a bad call. Um you know and I'm texting my officials, friends I'm like, have you guys ever seen anything like this? And the only guy who was like, nah, this is like, no, that's the rule, man. That's what it is, is a University of Minnesota alum. So I'm gonna throw him I'm gonna throw his opinion and my opinion out. The other guys I were talking to were not a hot guy or or Gopher fans. Um, so it's just it's just a frustrating way to lose a game. And as shitty as it is for us as fans that it's a bye week this weekend, because now we have two full weeks to stew on the crap that, what, that happened on Saturday, it's good for the team because they get to get back to work and get back to themselves. And it's good for them to be able to fall back into this. Um, I'm hoping, maybe I'm just a hopeful optimist, a cockeyed optimist to quote Rodgers and Hammerstein uh, that... Cooper DeGene now storms into Brian Ferentz's offense and says, give me the fucking ball. Exactly. Give me the fucking ball. And, and and then Phil signs off on it because I, I'm hoping that something like that happens at this stage of the game. Cause we really got to lose because Wisconsin and Minnesota both still have to play Ohio state. Iowa cannot slip against Northwestern. They, no. They're going to have their hands full with Rutgers Illinois is always going to be tough. So it's not easy sailing for the Hawkeyes. I think this whole schedule thing, people counted chickens before chickens hatched here with the schedule. And I get it. The schedule is weak. The data all select shows that the schedule is weak, but in too many minds, people thought 10 or 11 and one was a given. And now we're 10 and two now 10 and two is the best you can do. So that's what you got to figure out. If Iowa goes 10 and two, they're going to Indianapolis and don't say you don't want to go to Indianapolis if you don't want to go to Indianapolis There's some great seats available on a grassy hill in Ames. I'm sure the rest of the I'm sure the rest of the season So you 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 go to win at the highest level possible I would right. much rather lose in a championship game than than never have a chance to play for a championship And if and that is the mentality it has to be the mentality do you how do you overcome things how do you get over as a as a fan because i know i i actually had to like parent and coach my oldest son on how to have to get over this as a fan because it it can ruin your life if you if you're not careful
0: well, first of all, I wanted to say, I hope we still have the toilet flush uh, sound effect because we do need to flush this one and move on. That's step one to moving on. So if we have the flush, let's do it. And then I would say that, you know, it, for me, it's it's just compartmentalizing like my football brain and my football, my Hawkeye fandom was stewing and angry for a solid 24 hours. But, you know, it was a beautiful Sunday. Uh, I had to get my boat out for the year. So uh went down and did a little fishing. I caught a personal record, largemouth bass, a little over five pounds. Beautiful. So that, you know, so, that to have a real life, to get out, to do things. And that matters. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a sport. It's not the end of the world. It's not that big deal. We're passionate about it. We love it. And that's fun. And like I was telling uh, a couple of my buddies at the post tailgate where everybody was muttering and angry, you know, you got to take your turn in the barrel as an Iowa, as an Iowa fan or a fan of any sport sporting team for the most part, most of the time, uh, because the lows make the highs feel better. And as you mentioned, there's still a lot to play for. This is a flawed team. This is not a fun team necessarily to watch. I mean, it's interesting. Um, in some ways, they're they're going to be in games for the most
1: part, and it's hard to- not to call the defense fun. It's hard to not call this defense fun to watch. They are. Corey to
0: Taylor, watch. forty-nine yards a punt again. Four of a mil- in the twenty. I mean. Again, you have one completely, disp- it's like if you had three kids and two of them were like ready to go to Ivy League schools and did all the extracurriculars and one was like a dirty degenerate drug user that, you know, he was knocking up women and just causing problems and getting arrested all the time. Like, what, what do you
1: do as a parent for that? <laughs> Yeah. I hope I never have to answer that question as far as that goes, but I think you mentioned like, you know, you, you went fishing, you did your thing out and about, um, like for me, I just have to disconnect from football as a whole for a while. And so that's where I went. I went right into art mode and I started flipping through streaming services, looking for stuff that's as far away from sports as possible. And I found Bono reimagined. um, Peter and the Wolf Sergey Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf and it was on HBO Max and so that's what I watched but of course the first line of that narration is beware for wolves come in many disguises and I think that's where as a fan base we've got to be careful of where our wolves are because it's really easy for us all to head into the woods with our with our shotguns and our and our hunting gear You know, looking for Brian Ferentz's head and the offense's offense's head, and I think we all agree that that is a problematic wolf that needs to be dealt with. But we have to be also very careful to not overlook the wolves that are the backbiting in the fan base, backbiting in the locker rooms, backbiting um, in the how people support the team, and uh, you know, using this their swarm membership as what they feel as a lever to an entitlement to better play. Because I think we all give freely to that charity in hopes that it will make a difference. Um, Because for most of us, we're giving to the charitable wing of the Swarm, not the Swarm Inc side, which is the big bucks, you know, paying for an endorsement type deal. So we've got to be also careful of that wolf, Um, but I was so thankful that I was able just to listen to some fantastic music uh, and a great story that is you know harkens back to my childhood and that kind of took that was my that was like my uh, methadone clinic that kind of took the edge off and called me down and that's when I watched Gladiator out the next night I watched Gladiator which is my favorite movie of all time and that kind of gets gets me back centered and then I watched uh, the wedding singer with my wife and we just were silly stupid Adam Sandler so I think we've all got to figure out how we're gonna use the bye week. <laughs> to 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 solve our our anger um because we can all call for brian's head it's not coming it's not happening we're not getting his head yet but what we also can do is not let our our desire for the blood and the water for him uh become a problem for our 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 team the rest of the season because that 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 problem is going to solve itself um, and we'll have some of that. I've got the, uh, name that outrage was turned out to be a hit that's coming up here too, uh, with the chat GPT versus a message board post. But well, I mean, do you agree with me that we've all just got to get past this and find ways to get over it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's supposed to
0: be fun, right? So hopefully the bye week settles some things down and then I'm really, really fascinated to see what happens at this game at Wrigley. It. it ostensibly should feel mostly like a home game. I think there's going to be a lot of Iowa fans there, and we have to keep in mind. Hopefully they will all sell their tickets. Well, but that's the thing, Joel, is that I don't think, you know, you, people that do podcasts, people that write on internet message boards, people that get on Twitter and scream and holler, we kind of view that as the fan base, but it's not. I mean, the fan base is much more casual and yeah they kind of know what's going on on the periphery but at the end of the day they're not as they don't let their emotions rise and fall as much with this team so I mean I'm very interested to see what happens it, up in Chicago with this team is it a circle of the wagons and we you know we says another one of those examples kind of like how we got so frustrated at the result of the Penn State game when the result of the Penn State game was what a lot of us expected everybody to a man was saying this is a dangerous time. We are beat up. We're limping to the finish line of the first half of the season. Our bye week isn't until we gate. Minnesota is hungry, dangerous, and the worst happened. You know, but that doesn't mean that the season is over. You know, again, right? 6-2 should be 7-1. Um, you keep forging ahead. I mean, we're not quitters here.
1: All right, so we, we can talk to our blue in the face on this. Let's have some fun. Let's play some. Is this Chad GPT or is this a poster on the message boards? I segmented out into three categories. The three categories are coaching, the punt return, and the quarterback situation. Right. So here's the first two. First two. The fix was in from the start. It's an outrage that the game's outcome was determined by such a questionable decision. This is not just a blow to the players and fans. It's a slap in the face to the entire sport. The Hawkeyes played their hearts out, and they deserved that victory. This injustice will leave a bitter taste in my mouth and mouths of Hawkeye fans for a long time to come. Effing unbelievable. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with it. <laughs> is that is that Chat GPT or is that a message board post? Oh, I don't get to compare it to the second one. Okay. Oh you go oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'll compare it to the second one. Sorry. I can't believe what I just witnessed. That so-called "quotes invalid fair catch" signal call by official Tim O'Day is an absolute travesty. It's clear that this decision cost the Iowa Hawkeyes a well-deserved victory over the crappy Minnesota Gophers. Cooper Najin's touchdown was a game winner, and there's no room for ambiguity in such a crucial moment. Man, I like I like both those
0: takes. I feel like the first one felt a little more GPTE. E. I feel like the actual calling out of Tim O'Day. And the second one is maybe even a little too deep for the for the AI, but but so tell me if I'm right or wrong. They're both Chat GPT. <laughs> you, you're a, that's not fair. You just, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I on on to- That's if that I mean those both sound like they came directly from Hawkeye Report or yeah. the rival site or whatever.
1: On to the coaching conundrum. Here's the first one. Kirk really is not a good coach. He's been able to secure two top-notch defensive coordinators that is basically how he wins. But a good but what a good coach would not let a critical phase of the game, offense slip to this level and cost us so many winnable games. Making Brian who is already struggling as the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach, is all you need to know. We were never good at quarterback development. Stanley never got better and stayed essentially the same for three years. And now it's beyond sad. Good coaches don't double down on bad like KF does. His actions show he is closing. He's coasting and not concerned about his job or what is best for the future and rather looking out for the family business. And here's post number two. Kirk Ferentz needs to go. It's time for a change. His conservative play calling and aging coaching style have hindered the Hawkeyes' success. A fresh perspective in the play calling department is necessary for the remainder of the season. Furthermore, transition to Joey Labus as the starting quarterback is overdue, but it won't matter. His quarterbacks don't improve under Brian Ferentz. It's time to usher in new talent and revitalize the offense. Plus, there's also concern that Lincoln Riley could snatch defensive coordinator Phil Parker to counteract potential losses, and Iowa should consider hiring a young offensive mind from the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, which has proven effective in the NFL, embracing innovative strategies that will not only help the Hawkeyes compete at the highest level, but also secure their future in an ever-evolving college football landscape.
0: Okay, I felt like the first one made it like very personal, like they were personally offended and affronted. And I don't think AI can do that. The second one sounded like an AI combing all kinds of football discussion and putting together a pretty interesting little amalgamation. So I'm going, first one was a a
1: poster and the second one was AI. The first one was Hawkaholic, the second one was AI. Are you kidding me? Wow. You got it. So you got that one on the nose. You are destined for Blade Runner. You can identify the replicants.
0: Well, you know, considering that I work in communications, Joel, it's very important for me to be able to like still know that I can write better than a computer program. I think <laughs> it's going to last like another six months or so until I'm usurped. But by
1: God, I'm going to fight it to I can't anymore. Here's the last category, the quarterback situation. Absolutely no exaggeration here. If Hill gets the starting spot after the bye week, I've had it. I won't be watching until next year. It's beyond frustrating to waste half of my weekend on this abysmal performance. Any run-of-the-mill Iowa high school quarterback could outshine him out there. Utterly disgraceful. <laughs> then this one. No hyperbole. If Hill starts against Northwestern, I'm done watching till next year. It just isn't worth it revolving half of my weekend around this product. Your average Iowa high school QB can do what he's doing out there. Pathetic. <laughs> that is so
0: great. I was going to say, I know that I read the first one on the, on the board, but then now I'm not sure because the second one was almost exactly like the first one, which just goes to show. AI is getting smarter. So I, I, I honestly, I guess I'm going to say the first one was a message board poster. Cause it sounded like the one I read.
1: No, the first one was Chad GPT. The second one was Hans Gruber. There you go. That is uncanny though. I mean, those are almost
0: identical, right? Yeah, it is. It was, it was shocking. That's why I put those two together. Cause I was ruined like, oh, crap. We the, I won't watch again. I, that always cracks me up too. Like, like, is anybody ever actually walked away in the middle of a season like they said they were going to? I wonder, I'm sure maybe a couple, but. Yeah, I'm sure we will have. I have family members who I
1: think have. Really? Here's the last one. I have last one, this is another good one. Petrus, for all his flaws, was Kirk's own pick. Someone he actively sought out and favored. Hill, on the other hand, is just some overweight kid they randomly grabbed as he was on his way to Fordham. What's with Kirk's inexplicable loyalty to him anyway? It's infuriating. Or, as bad as Petrus was, he was Kirk's guy, a guy he recruited and obviously liked. He was just a fat ass on his way to Fordham. Why is he so ride or die with him? Oh, again, identical. And I know that that first one was on the board
0: because I made a fat joke in that thread. So (laughs) it's not really
1: fair, but that is uncanny also. The first one was Chad GPT. The, oh, second was. the second one was, one was major, one. was major awards that you okay. made your okay. comment on. And yeah. I commented that it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Cause I share it. So that is our weekly name that outrage. Was it a board post or was it Chad GPT? I mean, we'll do some gambling and let's get out of here. It's I like that bit. That's kind of a fun thing. It's enjoyable I, I, for me. And it's getting harder every week, which is terrifying. so what i'm doing is i'm writing a sentence like a a a basic thought into the chat gpt and it outputs that and then i'm going actually to the message boards trying to find something that matches it so it's really really interesting how it's working on to the gambling recapping last week rutgers in indiana rutgers was a five point favorite they won by 17 both you and i picked that one so we both get points there. Wisconsin and Illinois. You and Tom both took Illinois plus two and a half. I took Wisconsin minus two and a half. Badgers won by four. Joel gets a point. Man. Northwestern and Nebraska. You took Nebraska minus 12 and a half. They lost or they won by eight. I took Northwestern plus 12 and a half. That was a smart bet. I get the point. Wow. Michigan. Was a 24 and a half point favorite over Michigan State. They won 49 0. So they covered, it and we both just said that they would. Penn State at Ohio State, four and a half point favorite was, were the Buckeyes at the time of our picks. Ohio State, you took uh, Penn State to cover the plus four and a half. I took Penn State muddy line. We both lost as Ohio State won by eight. And then we both took Iowa minus five. I took and, and the over. Neither one of those happened. Oh. So that is that. So now we'll just go on to this week. And Tori, since Iowa is off, it doesn't matter what order we go in as far as the, the games. So Indiana will travel to Happy Valley. And they are a 32 point underdog, 44 and a half over under.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I got to think James Franklin's going to unleash hell on hapless Tom Allen in that one. I I'm going to take Penn state to cover Penn
1: state to cover. Ah, I'm going to IU to cover 32 points. That's a lot. That's a big number. Yep. And I just feel like it's just, it seems like weird Halloween weekend. We all seen weird things happen on Halloween weekend. So Maryland will travel to Northwestern and be 13 and a half point favorites. I'm taking Northwestern to
0: cover that. I mean, we're we're September Maryland is gone. Bad Maryland is in session. They'll probably win, but I'm guessing uh, you know,
1: a touchdown or less. Northwestern implodes, Maryland explodes. Maryland's going to cover that 13 and a half points. Many off of their record changing, life-changing victory over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Will now host the Michigan State Spartans and be a touchdown favorite with a forty point five over under. Really, they get
0: Michigan State next. Like you know, they shouldn't be having to play Michigan or Ohio State after Well, that. That's next. Then next week, so they play Ohio State. I think. Uh, all right. Um. What? How much of it? They, uh, they're a touchdown favorite. They're a touchdown favorite. Yeah. yeah points. I, I remember that and win. Unfortunately. Golfers,
1: I'm taking the Spartans money line. I'm not taking them to. I'm them Spartans money line. I think you watch too much Gladiator, Joel. Possible, it's possible. Yes. But I will be entertained no matter what. Penn State, or excuse me, Purdue travels to Lincoln. Maybe they can stay at Tim O'Day's house. Purdue two-and-a-half-point underdogs with a 40-and-a-half over-under to the Huskers.
0: Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think Nebraska, especially after seeing Iowa lose, now is going to have some self-belief that they can win the Big Ten West. <laughs> um, so
1: I like them to to cover that two-and-a-half. Two I agree. Wisconsin, 14-and-a-half-point underdogs hosting the Buckeyes a three and a I, half over under. I,
0: I'm going Ohio State in this one. Um, you know, Wisconsin probably should have lost to Illinois until Illinois decided to remember they were Illinois. Um, they're not gonna be able to hang with Ohio State. Wisconsin's not very good.
1: I agree. Plus Ohio State, I think she has to try to get as many style points as they can yep. as they're trying to put the pressure on the to get into that one or two position. So that is the big ten run this weekend, and uh it should be fun. I mean, it's kind of nice not to have any emotional energy, just financial energy potentially this weekend and uh the joys of football. But it'll be fun. Uh this week sucked, and it's gonna suck. Uh, it's gonna be a game we talk about forever. Uh, this is gonna be the screw job that we talk about for a long, long time. And Thanks, everybody, for listening, though. Uh, we didn't have a guest this week. Uh, we've got some big guests coming up down the road, and uh, the guest we were hoping to have this week actually messaged me right before we came on, and he he definitely still wants to do it. So uh, we've, got, we've got some big opportunities ahead of us, and I think you're going to be surprised by some of the guys we have lined up. And who knows? We're getting enough positive response here, Tori. We might have to make this a... Uh, Basketball podcast too. Oh boy! Well, I have seen tickets. it. Oh. <laughs> so, well, you you don't have to go to the games to talk about them. As no, you know, no, I, I know. I'm just saying. I'm
0: into basketball. I actually am probably smarter about basketball than I am football. Which I mean, that's a pretty low bar,
1: but I'm good for five fouls a game. That's about it. That was that was my high school basketball career. Got five well, fouls. Might as well use them. There you go. Well,
0: despite. the the sadness and the despair of this week, we do always finish with a rousing on Iowa. Go Hawks!